What's up, Empower community? You're listening to On The Real, where we keep it real. We're talking real news and issues that affect the Black community daily. It's your host, Tia, a political activist. Lovely Kendall, a multimedia journalist. And Chandler, a modern-day revolutionary. So in the previous show, we reviewed our post-election thoughts, but I wanted to start our last show of the year by wrapping up 2020 and asking you both, what has 2020 taught you about yourself? Well... 2020 definitely taught me that I've been sleeping on myself. (laughs) (laughs) I heard that. I've been really sleeping on myself. You know, 2020 really shook the table and it really kind of caused everybody to kind of look to alternative routes, I guess you can say. And I am literally a jack of all trades. I do lashes. I'm a multimedia journalist. I can do public relations. I can write a story about you. I can record. I can do all kinds of things. I can make commercials, movies, whatever you need me to do. And so at the time I was, I literally quit my job before COVID-19 and I was fresh back from an international trip in Jamaica. Thank God I was able to see the beautiful island of Jamaica, (laughs) but. (laughs) Before the lockdown. Right. (laughs) That was so unexpected. But when I came back, I was really like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Because everybody is like literally being fired right now. And so I relied on my my expertise in public relations and that kind of helped me, um, you know, get some money. But as far as like what 2020 has taught me is don't sleep on yourself. Always prepare for what's to come, whether it is, you know, you're trying to get another another position, whatever you're trying to do, always prepare in advance. Don't be afraid to speak up. Your story is your story. It really could help someone else. And it's okay to be vulnerable. That's what 2020 taught me, that all of those, all five lessons. Okay, right. What about you, Chan? 2020 taught me, oh man, a lot. I think one thing that I really took out of this year was staying consistent and staying on your purpose. Yeah, this year started off real weird for me. I was working a job that, I mean, it was super cool. It was laid back. I was making, you know, okay money, but I don't know. I wasn't happy. I didn't feel like I was fulfilling a purpose. So yeah, just acknowledging that and finding my purpose and just, you know, continuing to sow the seed. Now I'm starting to see, you know, the fruits of that blossom. So yeah, the biggest, biggest thing I learned was just to stay consistent, you know, stay on your purpose. Yeah, yeah, that was my takeaway. Okay. I actually like what both of you said. I know for me, 2020 can be wrapped up into some unpredictable challenges that I think everybody kind of had to face overall. For me, I think 2020 has taught me to slow down and really pay attention to everything that's going on around me and be very present in the things that I do. Like you can be in a space, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually there. Sometimes you're just taking up room at this point. Like you need to (laughs) contribute to things that, you know, require more effort from you. So I think 2020 allowed me to see that the things that we place such high importance on when the world was open and everything was going on, like when everything shut down and it's just you and you're 
figuring out how to pay your bills and how to do what you got to do. Like those are the times when, you know, the it's not really about the adversity and the things that are on your plate. It really is about the resilience that you have and the ability that you have to kind of handle those things and to come back and, you know, bounce back. And I think 2020 also taught me to be more patient and compassionate for sure, just as far as people's situations and realizing that, you know, in my head, I feel like I got it bad and I not necessarily I got it bad, but you know, like some days you have, you have your moments when you're like, man, how, why is this happening to me? Why am I the only one dealing with this? And I think 2020 was a really good eye opener for everyone to stop saying, you know, why is this happening to me and change things more into what is the situation or what is this trying to show me and how can I actually grow from this? So even though 2020 can be summed up into a lot of craziness, I think one thing that I'm happy about is the ability to see um my peers become a little bit a little bit more aware the self-awareness that I've seen with people just in general whether it's fake or not that's between them and the Lord but I think the self-awareness that I've seen grow in people with this time to ourselves has really been really good so that's what I've learned from 2020 take it easy take a breath but work hard definitely be yeah work hard and be there for sure I can definitely agree with that because you do get caught up in the moment of just doing stuff and then you realize dang like what am I really doing and from that it's just kind of like you really have to take a lot of steps back so I could definitely say 2020 was a really good challenge mm -hmm. it was really good it was kind of like what they had like the real world yeah. <laughs> survival. This was survivor. Yeah, no, sure. for real. This was really survivor. And you know what? If you sat back in the house and, you know, reevaluated your life, that's okay. If you sat back in the house and really picked up the pieces and start, you know, pivoting into the right direction, that's okay too because, you know, 2021 is literally next week. Yeah. Like in the next couple of days. So, you know, I feel like I've been seeing all year, you know, if you if you haven't been doing anything, then the next year will prove that or whatever. Mm -hmm. But who cares? Don't let social media <laughs> influence you. <laughs> because social media is kind of depressing. Yeah. Don't keep up with the Joneses. It's all right. No, right, right. <laughs> with 2020, I feel like as we move into 2021 and just kind of looking forward to, you know, the future. I don't think, like you said, it's determined by whether or not you read a, 10 books each month of quarantine or whether or not you saved 10 bands by the end of the year or didn't spend your unemployment or did spend it. Like, I think it really is just about you as a person realizing, you know, your faults and where you actually do show up in the world, what you can contribute and making sure that you, you push into that, work on that. So yeah, definitely 20, 2020 was, was a year. 2020 really was. was a year for yeah, sure. It was definitely a year. It was it was a good year though. I mean, not for everyone, but I think I mean for speaking for myself, it was a it was a solid year of growth. Yeah. It was definitely a year of growth, necessary growth because it's like if you like I said, if you just are used to constantly going and going and going, you're not realizing like what's really going on. And so with stepping back and actually, you know, really paying attention, it actually exposes things that you were being oblivious towards. Even with people that need healing, people took this time to actually heal. People took this time to actually tap into their spiritual relationship 
with God, whether it be Allah or whomever their God is. People took time to actually hone in on their skills, actually preparing. Like I could say 2020 was definitely the year that shook the table. It was definitely the year of shifting and it was definitely the year of preparation because 2021, I know for a fact I'm hitting the ground running. I'm coming after everything that I'm I'm really kind of claiming for my life. Okay, so. if it passes, up, we, we grabbing it. Right. ASAP. <laughs> As we know, this week is Kwanzaa, and the importance of this holiday should not go without mentioning. We did join with other community grassroots organizations this weekend in hosting a Christmas Kwanzaa event that was extremely successful. If anyone wants to assist me with pronouncing the Kwanzaa name for today? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, today is Ujima. Ujima. So we have collective work and responsibility to build and maintain our community together and make our brothers and sisters' problems our problems and solve them together. Yeah, yeah. So today is the third day of Kwanzaa. So I'm going to just give a little background on what Kwanzaa is. So Kwanzaa is an African-American and Pan-African holiday that celebrates family, community, and culture. It was created in 1966 by African studies professor named Dr. Milana Karenga. And that holiday, of course, was born in the civil rights movement um, and a construction of the Black Power Movement. Uh, so the name Kwanzaa originates, it's, it is a Swahili word, and it means, it, well, it comes from the word Matunda Ya Kwanzaa, and that means the first fruit of the harvest. So Kwanzaa, a seven-day cultural festival, begins the day after Christmas, December 26th, and ends on January 1st. It's, and its purpose is to join the values and practices of continental Africa and the African-American culture. So during the holiday, families and communities organize activities around the seven principles, and those in the seven principles is called Nguza Saba. So each day of the week represents a different principle. The first day was Umoja which means unity. Yesterday was Kujicha Gulia, which means self-determination. And today, of course, is Ujima, where we celebrate collective work and responsibility. So each of these days has a different purpose. And of course, this is relating back to the continental Africa and I guess the values that they have. You know, tribes are united. It's all about love. It's all about collective work, responsibility, you know, commemorating your ancestors and cooperative economics. That's something that's huge in African culture. And that's actually tomorrow. So tomorrow is Ujama. What it stands for is a, a commemoration of cooperative economics. So working in your community together, you know, everyone has a part in the village. So after that is Nia. Nia means purpose. And then the next day is Kumba, which means creativity. And then the last day of Kwanzaa is Imani. And Imani means faith. A little more information to sum it up. Red, black, and green are the colors of Kwanzaa. Black represents the people. Red represents the blood of the people. And green represents the land. And the color scheme corresponds also with the Pan-African flag, which was, of course, designed by Marcus Garvey in the 1920s. So every African-American family should celebrate Kwanzaa because it'll bring an essence of who you are. You know, it'll teach you about what hasn't been you know, taught in our history. We're, we don't know anything about, you know, our history at all, you know. So understanding Kwanzaa and understanding those seven principles, because that's really what African culture is about. And it's about these seven principles, the, the economics, the faith, the unity, the love, 
the community. You know, that's when you think of Africa, the villages, like everyone has a part in the village, you know, and it's the same thing here. We, we are the same people from Africa. We have those same values. We have the same heart, same blood. And we, we need to show that, you know, and to show that, you know, learn about Kwanzaa and, you know, teach somebody about it as well. Definitely. And also, too, I know for me, I've always known about Kwanzaa. I'm not going to lie and say that it's something that I've celebrated every single year or even really (laughs) honestly paid too much attention to. You know, we get caught up in the Christmas, New Year's type of flow of things. So it, it is the first year that I plan on, you know, contributing and celebrating this for me. And so I had actually looked up, like, how do you celebrate Kwanzaa? Like, how do you even start? And that's with, the beautiful <laughs> thing about it. <laughs> like, how, how do we start there? You know, and I like that a lot of the things that they want you to do have to do with, like, you know, getting crafty, making the gifts, not buying the gifts, eating good food, reflection, talking about your family, talking about black business, talking about, you know, black economics. There's a lot of local gatherings. And just because of COVID, we know things are moving to a more virtual space you can buy from black business Mm -hmm. um, as well. That's always a great way um, to definitely contribute. But this year, just making sure that everyone takes a step back and definitely does a lot of reflection. But I want to get good at this because I want, when I have kids, for them to know, like, we celebrate Kwanzaa in our house. You know, so I feel like kids should be excited about Kwanzaa and celebrating being black and the community that we have within within ourselves and just the history that we have and not feel like the only thing they have to be excited about is Christmas. Even though you're not getting gifts and unwrapping (laughs) them under the tree, but it's still something for us to highlight and be proud of. so yeah. I'm happy and, with the push. And even, so, so there's so many ways you can celebrate Kwanzaa. We got to think of it like this. Christmas, I don't really, you know, celebrate Christmas. But as a black family, understanding Kwanzaa, you can still do the gift giving, you know, in, in Kwanzaa. Matter of fact, it's even better than Christmas. Because rather than you, you know, expecting this fat white man to come down your chimney and drop off presents one day, you can get gifts, you know, for a whole week. Right. But who is the fat man, y'all? Right, and who's letting him come down the chimney? That, like, <laughs> he can't even really, fit. Like, you know, like, that's really my question, because if there was an unidentified white man coming down your chimney, are you really welcoming him with cookies? Like, right. no, stop playing. Like, we're <laughs> who not. Who made this up? We're, like, you know, something's not right, right. here that we should just be excited Why for this random. Flying? Okay, like, something is wrong. This whole narrative is just out of whack, for sure. Yeah, right. Kwanzaa... The importance of our community and giving these kids something to be excited about besides the white man coming down the chimney. For right. Sure. That, that, that is the goal of quantum support. We gotta get these white kids off the Santa train. Because it's your mama that's buying these gifts. Exactly. Like, right. And who is Santa? Yeah. We are Santa. Yeah, we really Santa's are. Santa's every day. Yeah. Santa's everyone that's making sure that you have lights in the house, making sure you can take, you know, do what you gotta do, eat. That that's who Santa is. Thank you. <laughs> no, absolutely. I I was a student in the West Las Vegas Performing Arts Center. They had a, a summer program called PV Performing Visual Arts PV. I I forgot the name of it, but I was one of those kids who partaked into uh, the actual program in which you could choose whether you wanted to do music, you wanted to do theater, you wanted to do dance, or kind of any one of those disciplines in which, being that it's on the the west side, the black side of Las Vegas, they tapped a lot in 
into African culture and things of that nature. So I learned about Kwanzaa being in that program. So I remember Debbie Allen came and she was teaching us about, you know, the Kwanzaa principles. And then like every day before we left, we would have to do the unity circle in which it tapped into, I believe, all of the um, Kwanzaa principles as far as being together, building as a collective, and, you know, just kind of uplifting your brothers and sisters. Like I know Miss Marsha, shout out to Miss Marsha if you're listening to this, she would always say, one line, one love. You know, if one person steps out of line, then the whole place, you know, the whole line is messed up because Kwanzaa, it teaches the basic principles, you know. And unfortunately, due to slavery and all of the terrible other things that has oppressed us, I do think that Kwanzaa does kind of bring us all back together. Yeah, and that's the goal of it, you know. It's just to reunite with those African values, you know, and, and actually getting an understanding of the African values because, Yeah. You know. Yeah, absolutely. So, y'all... It's our last podcast for 2020. It is. It is. 2020's been crazy. 2020 has been too much. I know we've discussed um, kind of the importance of community, the yeah. importance of building with one another, loving ourselves, yeah. um, and how essential that is to Kwanzaa and the message that we're trying to put forward. So how do you both uh, think that we start with rebuilding our communities as we look forward to 2021 mm. and beyond? Well, today is Ujima, and <laughs> as far as Kwanzaa, it's about collective work and responsibility. And being that, you know, this year we had the Black Lives Matter, like the George Floyd, like all of that stuff that the protest was going on for like two to three months. And then the riots and then all of that stuff. I mean, we weren't part of the riots, but people are now standing up and then they have all these black businesses that are now coming from COVID-19 and like these business grants and things of that nature. Um, I would say we need to support each other. We are our own community, literally. You go to Chinatown, you know you in Chinatown. You know, we need to come together and we need to build up our own communities. We need to start, you know, supporting our own communities. And if something isn't right, don't be afraid to say, hey, look, like I'm here to help you and this is how your stuff can look better because we are all we have. If your own people not helping you, then ain't nobody else gonna help you. Cause it's like, you can only see so much, you know, you're, you're not on the outside looking in. So I'd say like step one, support, you know, support. donate, buy, you know, Start an organization for these young black kids. You know what I'm saying? Like, do all these do all these different things to help uplift your community because um, we are literally all we have. You know, all these other communities are supporting each other. Why can't we support each other? Oh man, I feel you on that one. I think it's going to take a lot of accountability. You know, it, it is. And the saying "only the strong survive," I think that's going to you know, really weigh in. Every black person is not going to fall in line and want to support other black people. The Willie Lynch letters are, you know, still affecting people today. So I, I really just think that the first step is accountability because I mean, you know, I can teach you all day, can, you know, run game on you, teach, drop gems, whatever. But if you don't have enough self-respect and dignity for yourself, then it's going to be, it's going to be hard. And when we, when we think about like the music, that makes it even harder. Because it starts with the children. If you, got, if you drill something into a child's head, that literally can be their mantra for life. I, I just think it starts with, you know, accountability from the older to 
guide the children, you know, because when it when it comes like even we think of African culture, you know, they have that culture and they instill that in the children. And that's not even just African culture. That's, you know, all cultures. You know, if you want something to be learned throughout a life, you teach that to them as a child. Mm -hmm. I think that's where it starts, you know, understanding that the children come first. We can't rely on this school system. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of looking forward to, well, not looking forward to, but I kind of like the new hybrid education system that's going to be, you know, going into place because I think now that gives parents a bit more, one, accountability for their child, and it gives them a chance to really teach them something, you know, not just this curriculum that's being peddled in schools. So I think that's, that's where we start. We start by teaching the children to love themselves and not to hate because mm-hmm. that that you can listen to music all day about shoot this n- rob this n- kill this n-, you know yeah. all <laughs> yeah. of that like yeah. and they know this by mm-hmm. you know they know by this heart. better than the abc yeah so, yeah you know this is something that that's going to stick with them you know this is something that they like this is something that they feel like they can connect to so you know when, when it gets when they get older and they just listen to the same music like that pipeline that these institutions are building when your child can't read in the second grade. Now they got a prison for them. That's it's big due to the accountability from that parent. So until we can get some accountability going, you know, go, go ahead and, and take responsibility today. Today is about collective work and responsibility. So yeah, that's where we start. We start by educating the children and taking some accountability. I definitely agree with that accountability piece and the self-reflection, excuse me, the self-respect, self-respect portion of what you were saying because I think it's hard to love other people when you don't love yourself. So I think that one thing with our community that we kind of struggle with is the idea that if we're helping another black person succeed, that that somehow like deters us from our goal or our future. If another black woman is succeeding in the same lane that we are, a lot of times that's threatening. If a black man is succeeding, that's like, I got to figure out a way to knock him off his game. You know, instead of being like, how do we ensure that both of us get to the top? One thing for me with with self-respect and just like you said, bringing it to our children and the curriculum that they that they're learning. I think that the hybrid situation works in situations for parents who want their children to learn. You have to want your kid to learn. You have to understand that the responsibility of the school system is not childcare. Like it's not for your kids to go for eight hours a day so you can run the streets and do whatever you want to do. When the schools first open, the first maybe week, two weeks that CCSD was back opening in August, I would literally watch on my Facebook parents for almost eight hours a day complain about how trash CCSD is for a consecutive eight hours a day. And to me, it's like, I get it. We probably don't have the best school system. But wouldn't that eight hours a day that you've spent with these long posts on Facebook have been better suited towards Googling lesson plans and figuring out what it is that your child needs to learn in order to be successful? Like, is it really the school's fault? Because let's really think about it. If there was no schools and it was just on you as a parent, which to some people is so crazy. 
<laughs> but let's just think that it was on you as a parent to ensure that your child had absolutely everything they needed by the time they got 18 to be a successful adult, they wouldn't be able to do it. So there, ha there has to be some definite accountability that comes with these parents as well, because I think that a lot of people look at the schools as if it's a daycare and it's not a daycare and they look at their child's education as though it's a luxury and it's not. The fact that we live in a state where we have been afforded the luxury of opening businesses, enjoying entertainment, educating our children without truly having to contribute to the basic functions that actually help a city thrive is something that we've taken for granted for so long and now we're like, well, why isn't it working? Well, you haven't contributed yeah. to any of this. You want the school systems to work? Show up for the school board meetings. Go to the actual schools. Learn who your kids are actually being influenced and educated by and then you can start speaking and talking about the curriculum that you want to see the actual impact that you have. Instead of being on Facebook for eight hours, maybe you spend six hours reading just strictly with your child. You get what I'm saying? Like there has to be some sense of accountability there, I feel like, when it comes with the parents, because I think too often it's put off that it's educators' problems when there's a serious issue with black people and our ability for certain people to want to understand the importance of educating their child. So I think for me, that that's what I definitely am looking forward to for 2021, is parents taking accountability for their children's futures, because it is your responsibility to make sure that your child gets the education and gets to get the life that they want to have. I mean, we can blame the government. We can blame, you know, society and things like that. But when you can say that your screen time on your phone is 12 hours a day, but your baby is not reading on grade level, like whose mm. fault is that? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If every time your kid is annoying you or wants to say something, you're immediately handing them a phone or a tablet, whose fault is that? Maybe not the teachers. Just the idea that so many people were like, oh, my kid can't sit down or my kid can't, my kid doesn't want to sit on a computer. There's other things that you can do that don't necessarily have to mean that your kid sits here for eight hours a day. But the fact that your baby is not able to sit here and be able to do their work is a problem that should definitely be highlighted because there's kids their age that can do that. So yeah. maybe 8 a.m. isn't the best time for kids to be jumping up on the computer, but mm -hmm. if that means that you're up at 6.30 so you can get your baby showered and breakfast and develop a routine, that just means baby we up at 6.30 in the morning so that we can make sure that you're ready to go by 8 o'clock. You get what I'm saying? Like it's it's the lifestyle changes that you make. It's the, It really is the accountability that you have with yourself as a parent to say my kid's gonna be ready to be in front of these schools I don't know maybe I'm just crazy but my kid would be that kid that's dressed ready to go no you're not going to school in your pajamas we're just we're just not doing that you get what I'm saying like you're yeah. still going to move and act as though you had somewhere to be at eight o'clock this morning because even if school was in and there was no pandemic you would have been out of here at eight o'clock this morning so allowing you to sleep and do school from the bed I'm literally seeing kids on Zoom from the bed or the couch. How? They're not focused in my yeah. bed. I can't even do home. I can't work. I can't do nothing from the bed, job. That taps into accountability, though, yeah. for sure. I think people have to get on a scheduled basis. I mean, you're naturally on a schedule when you have to get up and go to work. You're naturally on a schedule when you have to get up and go to school. So I think for parents now, for kids at home, I mean, I think it's best to have it on a scheduled basis. Okay, let's act like you're going to school because when you act like you're doing something, then you're actually really doing it and it tricks your mind to actually focus. Right. So I think having this schedule and 
Also, for parents who don't have that much patience, I think just really calming down and really just living within that moment and breaking things down to its entirety to your children who may not understand, I think that would help too because it really shows you as a parent now because it's like, do you want your children to learn or are you just going to put all it on the, on the teacher like you, like you mentioned? So I think, you know, planning and really wanting it for your child, I think that will really help the situation because a lot of parents are complaining about you know how hard it is to teach their students and how how they really commend teachers you know <laughs> because you have to have a lot of patience to, right. to deal with like 20 different personalities <laughs> in one setting you know so I just think those two would probably help put things into perspective for parents that are struggling to teach them their kids from home especially with those those students who aren't you know self-starters yeah I could see it being a, a double-edged sword, though, because, you know, now that you say that, I'm just thinking to myself, what if I'm a single parent with mm-hmm. four kids, mm, you right. know, one computer, all four, oh. there's no way all four of these kids are going to learn, right. you know, that's not possible at all. Um, so I would say that I think now is really the time where we apply real life education and not just this standardized testing stuff. Now's the time is where you can, you know, teach your kids how to pay bills, taxes, credit, you know, all these things that are really going, that have affected the parents, like how to get a job, you know, how to do interviews, you know, these type of things that are really affecting them, you know, because that's what's, you know, after this, this pandemic, that's what's going to matter. Right. Right. That's, that's what's going to matter. Do you, do you, do you know, you know, how to pay bills or rent or how to get a job, how to make money when there aren't jobs available, how to save money, all these type of things, you know, real life scenarios. And I think, um, you know, just a little advice for any parent that is struggling to, you know, educate their children. Cause I know, I know it can be tough. Just, you know, try to, you know, teach them real life aspects. You know, they'll Mm -hmm. they'll learn even if they aren't learning the curriculum based things. They'll they'll know how to move forward in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And apply that and apply that knowledge. I think um, even just like wanting to kind of clarify and clear up my my words of advice or my critiques, because I'm not a parent, you know, I just can speak on the type of mom that I had knowing the education system that we have here and the hoops that my mom went through to like get it ingrained in my system like you're not falling behind it's just not gonna happen like in no way shape or form no matter what they say about y'all like I know my kids and I'm doing what I need to do so my issue is never with the parents that are trying or the ones that genuinely I don't want to say don't know but the ones that uh, might not necessarily even know where to obtain the information to teach their kids Mm -hmm. my thing is the one is the ones that complain all day you know the ones that like don't try the ones that don't apply the ones that don't literally google like loose lesson plans for their child like the ones that don't try to come up with other activities the ones that don't read with their kids at night like there's some parents who literally don't read with their kids like don't have never heard the kid read out loud thinks the teacher is crazy they keep on saying that the kid has behavior problems now your kid's at home and you're like well maybe like something is right like they've been trying to tell you this for six years Mm -hmm. like this is not a new issue it's just that you've been allowing things to 
kind of continue that like it kind of backfires so I don't want anyone to think that my, like my opinion is like oh y'all ain't doing enough because <laughs> being a single mom like I was raised by a single mom you know I had I had my dad in my life definitely financially there every single day I saw my dad there every day but as far as like the grind work of raising kids like doing what you need to do like that was all Patrina McKinney now like she <laughs> she did her thing you know the dismantling I guess of the black family has kind of affected a lot of the economic and educational opportunities and structures that we have kind of in the United States and it is a lot of the explanations I guess for a lot of the trauma that we've had to endure as far as the American experience. Um, like you were talking about Kendall earlier with the George Floyd protests and just different Black Lives Matters um, situations that we've had going on over the last year. How do you both feel like we um, move forward with our advocacy work? Since we all do work in the public, in the community, how do we get it from this hashtag two-month block protests were in the streets to now everybody's quiet and no one's posting anything. Yeah, how do we keep it going? Yeah. I would just, mm, that's a good question. Uh, that's actually a question that was brought up before everything died down. Ooh, I would just keep talking about it and kind of just really walking that talk because somebody is going to see you and they're going to be inspired like, wow, you're still doing the same thing that we did over the summer. Mm-hmm. Let me see what I can do because this really impacts my community. Really just holding holding yourself accountable holds other people accountable. That word that you guys mentioned earlier, accountability is like huge. It's huge. For tw- the word <laughs> for 2020 is accountability. Yeah. For sure, for sure. I would, yeah, I would say like keep talking. And really now that we have a new president, now that we have all these different legislators in office and things like that, we have to hold them accountable so we can continue our walk as far as that talk and really make them walk that talk as well because they were saying, oh, we're going to do this or we're going to do that, you know what I'm saying? And now that they're in office, it's like, okay, yeah, now we're like moving into a new home, but what's going to happen when you're settled in? So as far as walking that talk, we have to also hold our legislators accountable as far as walking that talk too and really putting forth the black agenda. What do we want to see for our community? What do we want to happen, why do we continue to uh, fall in the shadows of, you know, rooting for people who are actually against us? Is it because we don't know? Like actually doing the research and, um, you know, ma- building a relationship with the, the count. What is it? The, the sheriff, the metro, okay. the the metropolitan police department sheriff. You know, let's see what's on their agenda because I know for a fact they were enticing protesters during the protests, and I know for a fact that they do have some um, ulterior motives up their sleeve. So we have to build. Rel- relations with those people because all of it all of it is really about influence and it's really about putting yourself getting off your high horse and putting yourself in someone else's shoes and I was talking to Chandler a few days about that and I know he did mention you're making a million dollars they ain't gonna put themselves in your shoes (laughs) I mean yeah that's real but we're all people at the end of the day and like who would really want to deal who who would actually want to face police brutality like come on now who would actually want to deal with the fact of like these taxes being an issue and we're not even qualified you know we're not a we're not making millions of dollars, but you're yet and still you're 
making it hard for us to live to see another day with these tax issues you know how are you going how are you guys i don't know it's just so many different aspects of it all and so i just really feel like boom accountability (laughs) and really influencing these politicians and these people in these high positions really really building a good relationship enough with them to kind of really bring it to reality like hey, I don't have $50 million in the bank. Hey, I got like four kids at home, but I'm like single. Help me out. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm not being a charity case, but I know that you can make laws. I know that you can really, your voice has power. So I would say definitely accountability, building relationships with those legislators and the the sheriff and, um, you know, being vulnerable. It's okay to be vulnerable. Some may say it's a double-edged sword, but a lot of the times things happen when you are vulnerable. So use your voice. <laughs> <laughs> to now I hate to be that guy. Oh man, really <laughs> here it comes. Here it comes. To be that guy, but <laughs> bloodshed. Mm-hmm. I think that is what it's going to take. We gotta kill them all. No, no, no. I don't think we gotta kill them all. No, I'm just no. no I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I definitely think that. Bloodshed is going to be the 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 real awakening. You know, like we would just think about what what has caused movements. It has always been bloodshed. You know, when we think of the apartheid, South Africa, bloodshed. We think of our voting rights here, bloodshed. To be considered a human, a lot of people died. So to even just get our basic rights. Now we live in a country where black people aren't even allowed to have basic rights, you know? So that's why I say bloodshed, because, you know, we, this is something we're gonna have to die for. You know, we live in a country where, when this country was founded and they were writing the laws, the constitutions, it was literally made to empower white people and completely disenfranchise and dehumanize black people. As long as that constitution is what we live on today, we can amend it as much as we want. We can write a whole bunch of laws, But at the end of the day, the structure of what we're working on is racist. And they're not going to give up the Constitution. You know, they're not going to say, okay, that was racist. Let's start over. No, they know it was racist. The people who, you know, are for it are still in power today. So bloodshed, you know, not to not to say I want to volunteer and die first. <laughs> but, you know, I, tribute. I, right. I, I do think that, you know, it's just, it's, it takes people who are willing to risk their lives. You know, Martin Luther King risked his life. You know, he got his ass beat over and over again. You know, same with Malcolm X, Marcus Garvey, all of these people died to ensure that us three can do this right here. So I think it just takes that type of commitment. It takes enough people willing to, not necessarily having to die, but having that belief strong enough, you know, having that faith that even if I do die, I'm dying for a reason, you know, I'm dying to make my next generation powerful. So I think when we have enough of those people, you know, we'll really start to see some change. And it's, and the numbers are growing, you know, for sure. We're seeing we're seeing that on social media. And social media has been a huge asset for our movement. Mm-hmm. Although it has been a bit of a hindrance, it is definitely a huge asset. It's definitely able it has enabled us to propel forward, to spread our messages worldwide, to show the world the tyranny in America. And yeah, you know, just take it, take advantage of taking advantage of, you know, the platforms that we have to empower young people 
to have faith, you know. So, yeah, I know that was a lot, but, yeah. It's good. No, we needed that. I, yeah, I we think did. that's what it's going to take. It's yeah. going to take some lives lost and some tears. Definitely. I think with any, like you were saying, Chan, with any major change that we have had in this country, it's been on the backs of black people, but it also has been as a result of controversy, as a result of us being provoked and reacting. And I think that one thing that we as a community need to start doing is not being so much of a reaction-based community. Things happen to us, we react. Things happen to us, we riot and we, you know, we organize and we go vote and we do, but there has to be something else that we do after that. Like, it can't just always be reaction based. Like, we're going to have to start being on top of something, somewhere, whatever, you know, wherever we want to start. I feel like for me, the advocacy work does get hijacked by social media because, like, in my personal opinion, even when businesses and companies were coming out with their Black Lives Matter tweets, like, I, I didn't care about it. Like, I want to see the budgets and the policies that y'all are putting in place now that are going to affect the Black people that you're claiming to support so much. When we talk about the bigger picture. Right. When we talk about advocacy, I, I want to see us pay more attention to the businesses that come here, that we allow to be here, that we support, that don't pay back into our communities. I want there to be some type of accountability for addressing racism as what it is, calling it what it is, and not being being afraid to say what it is exactly and not being given executive orders from presidents that we can't discuss and talk about things that have literally impacted our community and fra like completely created a fragile system for us to try to move forward. I do want to urge people to hold their officials accountable as well to change the existing policies that we have in place now and to work on creating new initiatives that improve relations between minority populations in the police, minority populations in the healthcare system. You know, we're upset that people don't want to take a vaccine, but like y'all were purposely giving people sicknesses for like 40 years mm -hmm. and people were never able to recover from that. People are dying three to, excuse me, black women are dying three to four times more during childbirth than non-Hispanic white women. And you want to wonder why we don't trust you to stick needles and poke and prod at us. Like we're experiments. Like we've literally spent 400 years of being experiments for white people like literally experiments for what works what doesn't work how we can kill them how we can't kill them what we can let them do what we can't like I'm over that like I want the advocacy work to be more than a BLM post to be more than oh I came to a protest or to be more than oh we held a community event like all of that is great but like we can't black people are not afforded the luxury to pick and choose what where we want to show up anymore like some people are like oh I just vote like that's all I do or oh I just I donate that's all yeah. I do or oh I can't you know come to a community event but I'll send y'all a check like no 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 like we have to redo this whole idea that everybody like the church people stay with the church and the young people go like no black people work together we have to all of us collectively work on race relations in America. And I think one thing that I did want to say, there is a documentary called I Am Not Your Negro. 
on Netflix that I watched that, you know, gave really good explanation and kind of gave a good lens on racism through different stories, I mean, through the words of James Baldwin, but his um, stories from, you know, Medgar Evans, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, and a lot of the things that he was pretty much talking about and things that hinder black people in general, all of course had to have to do with racism, all have to do with addressing racism. But I think that what I kind of took away from it was like we keep saying this accountability piece yeah, with ourselves, like, and just knowing that yes, the world is a crazy place, but it's always been crazy. Accepting crazy is not acceptable. So by any means necessary, like we really do have to fight back. That idea that Chan was saying with bloodshed being held, like that just has to come with it now. Like we literally are in a space where we are we're not we're not progressing anymore we don't have the political capital to you know do anything we don't have the money we don't have the support within each other like there has to be something that says like all right black people like i don't know if we need to hear one of them what's the movie the purge alarms yeah. where like all the white people all the black people are like oh like now we're all to like i don't know what need what we need to hear mm -hmm. for us to be like okay let's stick this out and work together but i'm i'm definitely looking forward to the future and you know how we're in in this show this year but how we kind of move forward in order for us to truly begin rebuilding our communities we know that the work must be done within ourselves and as we've discussed numerous times today accountability does have to be held for one another um, the idea that the work can be accomplished without addressing our own personal self-respect issues is problematic and definitely a major cause for concern for empower and just a lot of people um, I think that are going to be listening as well to close out today I did want to ask you both a serious question what are you doing with your six hundred dollars uh, <laughs> y'all ain't been following the news yo one one time six hundred dollars oh it's two thousand it's two thousand for sure okay yeah. well no not for sure but the house did agree on the two thousand they did yeah because trump okay. trump denied that 600 for sure so it definitely goes to everybody who received stimulus checks previously previously yes, yes. Previously. Oh, if you okay. already got one then you'll you'll get it again which i was just concerned because i last time i got mine kind of fast so i was just like when y'all <laughs> sign it do it hit at midnight or is it like we gotta wait like five business days or like what's the deal on the stimmy okay here's another thing i need to learn how to do taxes yeah. i don't care if i am not getting any money back i mm -hmm. need to learn how to do taxes yes because i need to know how this works and so i mean I don't know, but I feel like that's another thing black people need to learn as well. So if you are listening and you know how to do taxes, please reach out to me. My Instagram is at <laughs> lovely underscore Kendall. Well, <laughs> I am so glad that you brought that up, Kendall. We actually have the Nevada Free Tax Coalition okay. here in Las Vegas. My grandmother is actually the founder of it. It's on Charleston Indicator, but you can volunteer there actually as a government volunteer to help people with their taxes. Anyone who makes less than 65 thousand dollars a year they will do your taxes there for you for free okay great each year mm -hmm. but it is also a way for you to volunteer and learn taxes as well because it is something that is very in-depth mm -hmm. very lucrative and just the everything that comes with taxes i'm telling you i was listening to those economic forum meetings like okay is this english or is this german <laughs> right. like y'all are gonna have to rewind it i was having to literally 
put record on my memos, let it play, and then listen to it again, like to learn how taxes really work and how it breaks down and how all of this is literally tied up into our state constitution with what we pay for taxes and what we don't. And that's why it's so hard to change things. Mm -hmm. That's definitely available for you. So I will personally send you that information. But if anyone that's listening would also like it, definitely Google the Nevada Free Tax Coalition. Their phone number is 702-987-4625. You can schedule an appointment to go ahead and be seen, but it does provide free tax preparation services for or anybody in Nevada. Perfect. If you need them, holla. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in this week. This episode has ended, but your journey continues. If you enjoyed this podcast, like, subscribe, and share. To access all the links and resources mentioned in today's show, tap the details button below or head over to empower360.org. We offer exclusive content and resources for podcast listeners like you. That's www.empower360.org. Until the next time, be empowered.